Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. During the season of Lent, we concern ourselves with the message of upcoming Holy Week, which begins with the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross and ends with his resurrection to eternal life. This sequence of events stands at the center of our faith, so it's only appropriate that we spend six weeks in preparation. The gospel story that I'm going to begin with today has Jesus preparing his disciples and the crowds follow him for those dramatic events. His disciples, Peter in particular, have a hard time accepting what they see as a defeatist message from the man who they believed was the Messiah, the man who was to be king. We read in Mark 8, 31 through 38. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any one of you want to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Here ends the reading. Jesus sets a high bar for his disciples or followers, and for us. He challenges them to pick up their own crosses and follow him. This is not an idle message. I remember when I was in college, I had a professor who would say to students who made a big deal of wearing the cross as a piece of jewelry, I thought Jesus wore his cross on his back. The cross is not jewelry or a symbol of membership in a club. The cross was an instrument of torture. And Jesus wasn't talking about our burdens in life that we refer to when we say, well, we all have our crosses to bear. Jesus was talking about real suffering and death. In the end, most of all of of Jesus' 12 disciples would be killed for following him. Some meeting gruesome ends. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. You know, for who would choose such a fate? Who chooses to suffer? And Paul's immediate answer, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Now that requires some explaining if we're going to know what to make of it. That's why today I would talk about suffering and how we deal with it. Suffering is made up of several elements. 
The first element of suffering is pain. Now, arguably, there are different forms of pain, physical and emotional, for example. Let me deal with the most direct kind of pain, physical. Physical pain can have overwhelming power in our lives. Don't have any doubt about that. That's why spies taking part in espionage in World War II Germany were issued cyanide capsules with which they were to commit suicide in event of their capture so that they would not be able to divulge any sensitive information. The Nazi Gestapo and SS had developed effective methods of using physical pain to extract information from even the strongest and most recalcitrant prisoners. In modern times, our own government has used what was called extraordinary rendition, a polite term for torture for illegal combatants. It is the rare person who can hold out against torture and excruciating physical pain. Pain has power. I mention torture only to illustrate the power of pain. As my high school football coach, a master of truism, said, pain hurts. It's real. Pain is something by definition, unless we are masochists, we seek to avoid. Seeking pain is disordered. And yet Jesus seems to be leading his disciples down a pathway of pain. Remember that even Jesus, while enduring the pain of the cross, cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Modern medicine has made great strides in alleviating pain. No longer are patients dying of cancer forced to endure intractable pain. Modern opioid medications have been developed that can be quite effective in relieving almost any pain. The development of Oxycontin, for example, was promoted as a miracle that could eliminate pain from life. Purdue Pharma, the developers of Oxycontin, presented its prescription by doctors as a moral imperative, since who would deprive their patients of pain relief? But it wasn't that simple. The resultant opioid epidemic, which has claimed hundreds of thousands of lives, exposes, however, that dealing with pain is not as simple as prescribing a pill. Tolerable pain, pain within limits, does serve its purpose. Physical pain, in some senses, is inevitable and even desirable, showing us our physical limits. But pain in itself is not the same as suffering especially when the pain is temporary. Pain becomes suffering when it leads to a loss of hope or to despair. Some people would equate that with isolation or a sense of separation from God. Hence Jesus' question, God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus wasn't just in pain. He was suffering, which begs the question, how do we deal with suffering. Well, let's turn to another Bible story, and this one from the Old Testament. The Israelites are wandering in the wilderness in their exodus from Egypt, and they begin to complain. 
In Numbers 21, 49, we read, From Mount Hor, the Israelites set out by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food here and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it up on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. We are all on our own wilderness journey, in our own exodus. As psychiatrist M. Scott Peck states in his book, The Road Less Traveled, life is struggle. Admittedly, for some of us, the struggle is greater than others. And suffering is not uniformly distributed across all humanity. Why that unfairness exists is a discussion for another day. But eventually, we are driven to complain because things just aren't turning out the way we expect or want them to. Life can be miserable. The potential illnesses and injuries that come at us from all signs in life seem uncontrollable and overwhelming. We wonder which bullet we won't eventually be able to dodge. Will it be cancer, heart disease, or just old age? We are surrounded by pain and suffering, our own and that of those we love. Now, one way that we seek to deal with suffering is to avoid it or suppress it. This tempting path, not the one that Jesus advises, involves numbing our pain instead of dealing with it. We can turn to substances, distractions, or addictions, anything to silence our aches, physical or emotional like the alcoholic who seeks solace at the bottom of a bottle. Suffering hangs around under the surface, waiting to come back even stronger when sobriety inevitably returns. I remember lying in a hospital bed after a serious surgery and facing a long recovery. I was given pain medication on a regular basis. Unfortunately, it always seemed to wear off before I was due for my next shot. And then I'd try to distract myself by cranking up music on my headset and repeating the Lord's Prayer over and over in my head. Both of these strategies, just like the injected painkillers, worked for a while. But as soon as I lost my focus, the pain would come roaring back. An alternative approach to denial and avoidance is to face our suffering head-on. Acknowledge it. Sit with it. This vulnerability is a step toward healing, 
albeit an uncomfortable one. Marathoners, especially competitive ones, are constantly confronted with pain. The human body protests when asked to run over 26 miles, that kind of speed. But instead of trying to avoid the pain, runners seek it out and acknowledge it in their bodies. They focus on it. Pushing through the pain is necessary to compete at the highest levels. Training has taught these athletes that pain, although brutalizing and powerful, is temporary. In this case, their pain does not lead to suffering. And sometimes it leads them to victory. This is the message of the story of the Israelites being bitten by snakes in the wilderness. The snakes are unavoidable. They are everywhere. If they try to turn away from them, they will be bitten and die. But God prescribes a solution. They are to turn and look at the bronze serpent on the staff that God commanded Moses to make and hold up before the people. And when they look at it, when they look at this serpent, the image of their suffering and death, they will be healed. This is not just a mystical or magical story. The serpent on a stick is a symbolic representation of the curative power of confronting and facing the source of our suffering or illness. Notice that the symbols of both the American Cancer Society and the American Medical Association both picture a serpent or serpents entwined around a staff or a sword. They both acknowledge that sickness and suffering exist, but if we confront them, we can heal them. The Gospel writer John equates the death of Jesus on the cross to these curative sermons. John writes, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For just as God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Look at the cross and live. Well, let's go back to Jesus' original statement. If anyone want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. Not like Peter, who wanted to deny Jesus. This is an invitation for us to acknowledge the inevitable existence of suffering in our lives, just as there was suffering and death in Jesus' lives. It does not imply that we are to impose suffering upon ourselves, but to acknowledge it in our lives. The way of Christ is a difficult one and leads to the cross. And that's what Paul says is foolishness. But it leads to eternal life at the end. That is, that is what he says is the power of God. When Christ talked about picking up the cross, he was prefiguring the events leading up to his crucifixion. 
this painful journey, is represented in tradition by the Via Dolorosa, or the Way of the Tears, which Jesus walked bearing his cross. The Via Dolorosa contains 14 stops along Jesus' final journey, and these are referred to as the Stations of the Cross. The 14 stations note where the following events occurred. Jesus is condemned to death. The cross is laid on Jesus for him to carry. Jesus falls over while carrying the cross. Jesus meets his mother Mary. Simon of Cyrene is ordered to help Jesus carry the cross. A woman named Veronica wipes Christ's face. Jesus falls a second time. The women of Jerusalem weep over Jesus. Jesus falls a third time. Jesus reaches the crucifixion site and is stripped of his clothes. Jesus is nailed to the cross. He dies on the cross. Jesus' body is removed from the cross, and he is laid in the tomb. These stations of the cross are depicted by statues or portraits in churches, churches around the world. If you visit the old city of Jerusalem today, you can walk the route and stop at shrines at the stations along the way. The purpose of memorializing the Via Dolorosa is to remind us and help us visualize the excruciating suffering that Jesus experienced even before he was crucified. It also helps us empathize and understand the path that Jesus called us to walk with him. The way of the cross is long and hard. The road of life is long and hard. And there will be suffering along the way. According to this tradition, the first time Jesus stumbles, a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, is recruited to carry the cross for him. To me, this is a crucial station. It reminds us that at some point, the struggle of life and pain can become too much for any of us to bear. I've never liked the old adage, God will never give you more than you can handle, which is not, by the way, biblical. That's a cruel thing to say to someone who is in pain and really suffering. It's not helpful. We can be pushed beyond human limits. The assurance is, however, that others can pick up our crosses and help us through our suffering. In summary, pain and suffering are a part of life. Picking up our crosses and following Jesus is an acknowledgement of that. Suffering instead of glory. The road of life is long and hard, but it leads to eternal life. So enjoy the journey and maybe give a hand to others who are struggling along the way. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace.